0: Good morning. I am so glad to see you this morning. I'm glad I get to be here with you. Um, I, a uh, little bit about me, I am a rule follower. Um, I, I don't mind rules, generally speaking. I follow them. Uh, I even follow those rules that are like not official rules, that just the things that are just kind of expected of you or, or assumed of you. I kind of follow those as well. When I was a student minister, uh, a, a student pastor in Shreveport, Louisiana, um, let me give you an idea of just kind of how I functioned. So I had my list of job responsibilities. Uh, these were my duties, I said duties, as a youth minister, as any youth minister should say duties. I, these were my duties. Um, I was a, a youth pastor of all these students. We had hundreds of students, and so that means I had to organize, I had to administrate everything that we did. And on top of that, I had somewhere between 30 sets at, 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 for some activities, about 30 adult leaders. Other activities, I would have closer to 50 or 75 adult leaders that I was also coordinating. So here's what we did. I, I coordinated uh, all these things. We had to do retreats. We did a bunch of retreats. We did camps for junior high, camps for high school. We did mission trips uh, in the summer, sometimes out of the country, uh, I, so I had to do all of that. That was in my job description. The other things in there was, uh, let's see, we had to do weekly Bible studies. So prepare that, get my adults ready, get me ready. Uh, Sunday school, we had to organize that. Uh, wow, i honestly glad those days are behind me. <laughs> and we had to do Sunday night discipleship, um, had to organize that. We had to do Wednesday night or Wednesday night uh, student uh, event. We had to take care of all that. Now, then I had students that, uh, in the Shreveport town that went to 14 different schools. So I had to go show up to lunches so I could visit with the students, talk to the students of 14 different schools. Then I had activities for those students at 14 different schools that happened in the evenings. All of those things I did. And uh, you know, frankly, most of that I really, really enjoyed. And so all of that stuff, um, but that's not all. (laughs) Wait, there's more. My pastor had some things that were not on my job description. Well, kind of. It goes under that line that says, and anything else that you're asked to do? Yes. So it kind of fell into that. These things not on my job description that we had to do. And my pastor called these command performances, which meant... Everyone on staff had to be a part. They had to be a part of getting it ready. They had to be a part of, of hosting whatever it was, of doing it. These command performances. Here, here are what those were like, command performances. Uh, we hosted uh, missions, conferences. Um, uh, oh, wait, first, let me tell you hospital days. When it was my day to do hospitals, um, I you know if it were here, we'd just have to run down Pine Bluff Street, Right. In Shreveport, we had 11 hospitals. So on my hospital day, I, I, I drove over 100 miles just in Shreveport getting to hospital on my hospital day. And then on top of that, then we had all these other things. We, had, uh, we hosted mission conferences. We hosted worship conferences. We hosted um, uh, women's conferences. We had the weekly door-to-door evangelism. There's a good one for you. <laughs> we did that. Um, We did uh, one-week revivals, sometimes we did two-week revivals, then if we weren't feeling very revival-y, we would do three-day revivals, (laughs) so we did all of that. We did VBS for kids, we did kids' camps, we did, already mentioned, women's conferences, we did men's breakfast, men's meetings, men's whatever we could get the men to do, we did men things. And I knew I should do all those things. That's why I did those things. I knew I should. I didn't want to be there for a lot of them, most of them. (laughs) I didn't want to be a part of all the rest of that stuff. I just knew I should. I knew it was expected of me, so I did. And they weren't bad things. Please understand me. They weren't bad things. They were good, most of them good, and and even some of them really, really good things. (sighs) But they were all shoulds. You know what I'm saying? Things you should do. Just do them. When your parents say you should do that, we know we don't have a choice, right? We got to do it. Well, that's what happens when your boss says it. Now, what could be happening in your minds right now at this moment, um, you could be thinking of all the things that you have to do, all the shoulds, that you have piling up in your life. And you may be saying, yeah, Parley, you're right. I've got a lot of shoulds for me too. I've got shoulds at work and I've got shoulds at home and I've got lots of them as well. And we all do. But here's something that somebody showed me and I I wanna read this, just straight up read it to you. This is an email, not an email, sorry. This is a Facebook post. Somebody showed me this. It was a pastor on the East Coast. So we don't know him. You don't know him, I don't know him, more than likely we don't, but probably within seven degrees of Kevin Bacon at least. But, so I'm going to read this email to you, okay? I, and there's no need to really comment as I read it. It's going to make perfect sense for you. Um, this is what a pastor on the East Coast had as his post the day after a Christmas event. Here's what he said. <laughs> because the reason I want to read it, it does a, an amazing job. Of kind of making my
1: point. And I'm reading now. <laughs> what a great Christmas celebration we had last night. But I
0: was disappointed that some of you weren't there. The only legitimate excuse to be absent is if we were either in intensive care or the morgue. Folks, he says. It always comes down to our priorities and our level of commitment to living out our promises to Jesus. If you made the wrong choice this Christmas, reflect deeply on how you can change it and why you should. Jesus is God's love in the flesh. The only response to him, the only response he seeks from us is for us to return that love. And then he ends with this question, why would you ever miss
1: the birthday celebration for someone that we love and who loves us? Yeah, me too. Have you ever heard that, something like that? From somebody like me? I know I have. I certainly have. Um, Here's how one person responded to that post. And some
0: of you might be thinking the same thing that he was thinking. Here's what they said. That pastor just shoveled a giant pile
1: of steaming should into the laps of his people. And I would have to agree. Wow.
0: I, I, I just have trouble imagining that someone wrote that and to, to their church people. So let me give you a big question here. And, and I'm hoping as we go over through the course of today that we're gonna be able to unpack this. Question, does God really want us to feel obligated? Does he just kind of want us to put up with some things and, and just be willing, just kind of, okay, I, I'll do it because I know I should do it does that really satisfy God? Is God okay with that? I mean, are are we actually honoring the glory of God when we just do something because we should do that? Is that how God responds to us? I mean, is all of this that he has done for us just because he should? And not because he loves us, but rather just simply because he should
1: do it? Wow. I mean, those are big questions. Because if you're anything like me, we've
0: spent a big part of our lives being told that we should love Jesus more. We should love Jesus. I mean, we've been taught that. It's been preached to us over and over again. And so I just want to take a moment at the very beginning of today's discussion and I just want to say on behalf of so many of the churches in this southern part of the United States in which I've
1: grown up in, I just, I want to apologize. We were wrong. They were wrong. That concept is wrong.
0: Jesus is not trying to should us into doing
1: anything. You see, shoulds don't lead to worship. Shoulds, they they don't
0: lead into a deeper relationship, right? In fact, shoulds always push people further toward
1: the law. Some of us may honestly kind of like the shoulds. I mean, secretly
0: today, some of us may actually push back against today's topic. And here's why. Because the shoulds, they kind of allow us to follow Jesus on autopilot, you know? Um, They kind of give us this, they show us how to go through the motions, what we need to do in following Jesus. And one thing about the shoulds, they kind of let us know how we're doing, you know? And a big thing about it is, not only do they let us know how we're doing, but we're able to know how other people are doing because we can look how well they're doing the shoulds as well. Hmm. It's also kind of satisfying to check those boxes, you know? I like to get things done. I've got a book back there on the, the bar in the back. I've got a book, and it is entirely filled with checklists. And when I accomplish a checklist, I actually cut the page out of the book. And when that book's done, I'm going to go to Walmart. I'm going to get another one, and I'm going to fill it up with checklists. It's good to check things off. Sometimes we like that in the whole religion thing. Church, check. Bible, check. Small group, check. Did that. Serving, check. By the way, we had new people helping us serve today, our junior staffers, our sixth graders. Um, but serving check, we get to check that. Tithing check, we we get to check a lot of boxes and we enjoy checking boxes sometimes.
1: But the shoulds lead to only two kinds of people. It leads to Pharisees
0: and it leads to failures. That's it. See, the shoulds create Christ followers um, who are concerned, about the rules and following the rules, all of them. The actual rules, the perceived rules, the ones that are written down, the ones that are passed down from oral tradition, the ones that are truth, or the ones that are simply tradition. They like to follow those rules.
1: It creates a Pharisee or it creates a failure. Somebody who is struggling or failing to follow all of the rules. And neither
0: one of those options, the Pharisee nor that failure of following the rules, neither one of those options is, is producing what God wants to produce. And that is his purpose of life change for his people, heart change for his people. So we have this option. The shoulds and With that comes a lot of shame. The shoulds and the shame. And I need you to
1: know, that is our misguided strategy, not his. But see, the point is, the point of the series, the point of where we're going this entire year, shoulding us to death is not God's plan. It
0: is not God's strategy, and it never has been. From the beginning, Jesus has been trying to invite people into something different. It may be something different than what you experienced growing up. Maybe something different than I experienced growing up. He's trying to invite us into a real, into a loving relationship with himself. And that's life-changing. But don't take my word for it. Here's what Jesus had to say. Matthew chapter 11, listen to this. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you
1: rest. That sounds pretty good. Bryce and I were talking this morning. He didn't rest well at night. I don't either.
0: Man, rest. Sounds good. I mean, I would like that. So if we're weary, rest sounds good. If we're carrying heavy burdens, rest sounds good. I mean, even the word itself is relaxing. Rest. (laughs) Ah, that sounds so good. Every bit of it makes you want to take a deep breath. It makes you want to sit back. It
1: makes you want to sigh. Now, the people he was talking to. When they heard that, when they
0: heard Jesus say that, this is kind of unique now to the first century. When they heard that, because for them, if someone was following a rabbi, following a teacher, when they did that, they would not equate that with rest. In fact, it would be quite the opposite for them. If they were following a rabbi, it would sound more like this. Weary? Carrying heavy burdens? Well... I've got something for you. Let me give you more burdens. I'll give you more things to carry. Oh, look, there's a little bit of room there. Take this too. And they would pile it on and pile it on, and it was impossible to carry the load they were carrying. That's what happened in the first century. And just maybe that's happening in the 21st century too. Just possibly. People understand that religious leaders are just piling on the burden of the shoulds. You should do this. You should do this. And of course, Jesus being the master teacher that he is, he leans into that comparison and he goes on in verse 29. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. In other words, Jesus is saying, I want you to carry what I give you. Just what I give you. Don't worry about what the other people are giving you. You just carry what I give you. And by the way, he would say, I'm careful about what I give you to carry. I'm not going to give you to me. I'm careful. Let me be a part of your life. Let me help be that filter. Big things, little things, let me help. Carry what I tell you to carry. And he goes on, let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest. There's that word again rest for your soul. And he closes that by
1: saying, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Once again, Jesus has flipped. The script. Once again, he's turned things upside down. Are
0: you getting the idea that that's kind of what Jesus does a lot?
1: (laughs) So, carrying the yoke in the first century for a rabbi, it would be described
0: by those first century people as anything but light. Now, let me tell you, when the first century people heard Jesus say that, Jesus the rabbi, when he said, carry my yoke, here's what they heard in the first century. The first thing, obviously, is kind of what we think about. It's that yoke that you would carry. But it's not like the kind, like if Bentley were standing here beside me, that we would be, have a yoke, one for me and one for him. You've seen like the oxen yoke, they're beside each other. It's not that kind of yoke. It would be a single person yoke. It would be a yoke that you carried by yourself. And so one of those would have just one place for a shoulder and a bar, and the bar would come out on each side, and there would be possibly something like a bucket on each side or a jar on each side, and one person would carry that yoke. So that comes to their mind. A one person yoke would come to their mind. Secondly, so that's one idea, but the, the word yoke goes beyond that. When a rabbi began teaching, sorry, Michael, I'm going off script. When a rabbi, he was like, yeah, I know. When a rabbi began, began teaching, he had developed what he called, what all the rabbis called his yoke. In other words, this is my way of seeing the world. This is my way of understanding the inspired scripture that God has given us. This is my way of interpreting, my way of seeing it, and not only just seeing it, it's my way of living this scripture with my life. That is my yoke, a rabbi would say. And a rabbi would look to his disciples and he would say, if you are going to follow me, you will carry my yoke. You will learn to see the world the way I see the world. You will learn to, uh, to respond in the world and act in the world the way I act in the world and I respond. That was the rabbi's yoke. And so when these people heard Jesus, the rabbi, saying, I want you to carry my yoke, they understood what he was saying. They understood, I'm back on script, they understood that he was... That he wants us to take his way of life and his way of seeing the world. That's what they would understand. And that's what he says to us. When we hear Jesus say to us in scripture today, I want you to carry my yoke. He's saying, I want you to take on my way of life and see and see the world the way I see the world. His way of living in the world.
1: His way of interacting with people in the world. And according to Jesus, don't miss this. In fact, lean in onto this comment.
0: According to Jesus, the outcome, the effect
1: of taking on the yoke of Jesus that he gives us, the outcome is rest. Rest for our souls. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? He's saying, submit to me and
0: I will give you the rest that you have been desiring, wanting, seeking. You see, he doesn't want you to submit to him and his checklists. He doesn't want you to submit to him and and begin working that list of shoulds, should do this, should do this, out of duty or obligation or out of shame. But he wants you to submit to him out of love.
1: Now don't miss this because this is super important. Jesus didn't say, come to me, There's no yoke over here, nothing to carry over here.
0: This is easy. Nothing over here to carry, nothing to do, no obligations, no requirements, nothing to worry about,
1: just come to me. That's all you need to do. He didn't say that. He did say, what I give you to carry will lead to rest. Not a burden, not an obligation, not a should. So while there will be a load to carry,
0: it won't be like, um, like he is a slave owner and he's just giving us heavier and heavier burdens, heavier and heavier responsibilities that are crushing us. It's not like he's looking at indentured servants and he's saying, go cook my meals and go clean these plates. No, 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 no. Instead, he's looking at his friends, the people he loves. And he's looking for these true friends who simply want to abide with him and be close to him, and they want to live their lives around him. Look at his own words. Uh, In Jesus, he told his followers in John 15, I no longer call you slaves he says, because the master
1: didn't confide in his slaves. Now, he said, you are my friends. I've told you everything the father has told me. Let those words sink in.
0: These are not my words. These aren't Harley or Cole's words, these aren't your mom's or your dad's words from your grandma or your grandfather. No, 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 no. It's not social media, it's not a meme. These are words of Jesus. He said, and and let's try to align our perspective to his. He said this:
1: I no longer call you slaves, I call you friends. Question. Do you see yourself? as his stuck slave or his free friend. And you might say, well, Harley, it's just semantics. What's what's the difference? It's simple. Um, A servant serves because they're expected to. And I
0: need to hit pause and just comment. Yes, I know Paul speaks frequently about being a bond servant. And it's a beautiful metaphor, and we will visit that. But Jesus said, I'm not calling you a slave. It's not a should. It's not a have to.
1: I'm calling you friends. So the difference is a servant does what he does because he's
0: expected to. He has to. He knows I should do this. I have to do
1: this. But a friend serves because the friend wants to. A slave is going to follow close because he has to. It is his job.
0: I've got to follow close so that I can hear what I have to do, what I should do next. But no, that's not a friend. A friend follows because they want to be close to their friend, they want to be near their friend. They want that closeness of a relationship with their friend. And you know this. Because in all of your healthy relationships, this plays out in your life. That's why you look forward to having that lunch with your besties. Right? Uh, That's why you can't wait to get home after a long day's work to get back to your family. That's why you can't wait to go on that camping trip that's coming up this spring. That's why you can't wait for that
1: vacation that's coming up. It's the people you're with. God's will, His purpose, is not about shooting us to death. Like I think it was my pastor's purpose (laughs) in Shreveport. Because if
0: that is God's purpose, then God's will, God's desire, then at that point becomes our law. It becomes our list of these are now my shoulds. These are now my have have tos. I've got to do these things. I'm obligated to do these things. And
1: that makes us a slave to that law, to that should, to that have to doing what we do because we have to but like we've stated over and over in this series which ends
0: today that's not it and that's not what god desires so let's word it like this here's our bottom line today if god's will is our should then we
1: are slaves but if god's will is our will, we are free children. Now let me help you understand what I'm trying to say. God does not
0: want us enslaved by shoulds or obligation. You see, through relationship with Jesus, when God's desire becomes our desire. And that happens as the Holy Spirit is working in our lives in that relationship with Jesus. When God's desire becomes our desire, we are now not slaves, we are free children. You could say with the uh, metaphor we're using today, we are free friends of His. And we are choosing to follow Him. And now for us, if that's the case, now for us, like Peter, we would respond to Jesus, Jesus, where else would I go? I want to follow you. You have the words of life. You are life. And he wants us to love him like that. To love him for who he is, not because we have to.
1: And the only way that's going to happen, the only way that's going to happen, is if we really get to know him.
0: You see, he wants to capture our hearts through a relationship. That's what he wants. He doesn't want to regulate our obedience with a checklist of should.
1: But sadly, for many of us, that's what we were taught growing up that we were obligated
0: and that we. Should. Oh, here's another thing. Every Sunday, the pastor would stand up and say, Here's another should for you. Should do this. You see, being a follower of Jesus is not about clenching your teeth and putting your head down and going to work, work, work.
1: It's not about do more, do more, and still more. It's ironically exactly the
0: reason why Jesus was so hard on the Pharisees, those religious teachers in the first century. He was so hard on them because they were professional shooters. That was their job. Here's how Jesus describes them in Matthew 23. Speaking of the, the, these teachers of religious law, they crush people with unbearable religious demands and they never lift a
1: finger to ease their burden. What we're talking about is an intimacy with Jesus. Between you and between him. An intimacy with Jesus. Wow. Now when you think about that, if that is
0: what God desires an intimate, close relationship between you and between Jesus, then perhaps the most powerful weapon of the evil one to crush that intimacy between you and between Jesus, his most powerful weapon would be a
1: church full of shoulders. Because it crushes relationships. That means if God's will is our should, we're slaves. We're just stuck with Jesus, right? So if shoulding
0: is not the answer, then what is and what will? And here's what we said. If God's will, through relationship, if God's will becomes our will, we are free children, or as I said a moment ago, free friends. Now, here's where we're landing today. And this is also, by the way, where we're landing this entire series, which has all been a look at to where we're going in 2023. Here's where we're landing. Jesus is not interested in shooting; He is interested in growing, like David,
1: growing a man after God's own heart. That's what he's desiring. Now, listen to what this man after God's own heart, David, listen
0: to what he wrote. And he uses a metaphor here. And now, he provided us with this. Now, I believe this of Scripture, that it is inspired by God, that God inspired David to write even this. And in that case, that it's inspired by God, listen to this invitation that we can say, Is inspired by God. So listen to this invitation and how it's worded. Psalm 34 Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in Him. Doesn't that sound restful? (laughs) Again, it's a metaphor. And in the Bible, we find metaphors describing things that are difficult for us to understand and difficult for us to comprehend. So the metaphor here is taste, because we understand tasting. I mean, we really understand it. We kind of forget how intimate tasting really is. If there's a stranger walking down the sidewalk this morning, as you leave or out here in the back, and they walk up to you, you have no idea who they are. They walk up to you and they say, hey, hey, taste this. Number one, you're not going to taste it. You're going to struggle with how do I tell them and not be completely rude that I'm not going to taste what they're offering me. Not going to taste it. Not, going to, not
1: putting that in my mouth. Don't know where it's been. Don't know what it is. Don't know what it tastes like. Not
0: going to taste it. How intimate that is. I mean, think about it. We're taking something that is foreign And we're actually placing it inside
1: our mouth and we're going to digest it and it's going to become part of our body for a while. (laughs) That is strangely intimate. It is risky,
0: especially if you're the first one to taste it, right? (laughs) We we did a a teaching not long ago about yellows. And I can guarantee you, the yellow, if you're... If your personality type is yellow in this room, you're our first tasters. (laughs) Or
1: if you're green, we could talk you into it. (laughs) I'm not tasting it. If you're the first. But if someone I know comes to me and they say, hey, Harley, taste this.
0: And if other people in the room are like, yeah, yeah, I've had it. It is amazing. Might as well be a roll from Texas Roadhouse. It is Makes you squeak. It is so good. Harley, taste this. I've had, I've done it, I've done it. You're going to love it. I know it might you know, it might not look so great. <laughs> might have a, an odd smell. But listen, I promise you, when you put it in, I've done it. I've done it. And I'm
1: continuing to do that because it tastes so good. Listen, you don't get to my weight by not tasting things. Taste it. When someone you know comes to you and says, hey, I, I, listen. listen, taste it. Amazing. That's what David is saying. You're not going to believe it. It's amazing. Taste
0: it. And today in your life, I can say there are a crowd of people. A crowd of people around you, some people like me, and some of you may be part of that crowd that is saying, I have tasted
1: that relationship. I have tasted that. And it is good. Taste it. You will be glad that you did. You will want more and more and
0: more. And as we taste more and more and more, you know what happens? We become, because of God and His Spirit leading us, more and more and more of what God desires in your life and in my life. And it moves us. So it moves us closer and closer to that God-alone relationship and further and further away from the Jesus-plus
1: worship we talked about in week number one. And you know what happens, too, before you know it? People in your life, people in your family, your immediate family, they begin to taste and see as well.
0: And and some of the people you have known for years and years, they begin to taste and see as well. And before you know it, there there are more and more people sitting at the table of Jesus alongside of you,
1: all tasting and seeing and knowing he is is good. Wow. All feasting and drinking Jesus into our lives to the point where our lives begin to orbit around His. That, that right there is what following Jesus is about. It begins with that taste taste, and that tastes good, and before you know it, you can't imagine living life apart from him. So, one last time, in January of
0: 2023, this is where we are going as a church, and this is where I am pleading with you To go with us. And Cole has been pleading as well. Go with us. This year.
1: Let's get the shoulds. Out of here. And instead. Let's taste and see that the Lord is good. His yoke really is easy. It really is light. And all of this my friends.
0: This journey. In 2023, it all begins next week, a year long journey out of the shoulds
1: and towards a a real relationship with Jesus. We're just simply asking, please come, go with us. Let's pray. Father, you don't want shoulders in life, you
0: don't want people who are obligated worshipers. You don't want people who just simply make time to fulfill obligations and fulfill a checklist. You actually want friends, you want children who make time for an actual relationship with you because they long to be with you more and more. And I'm praying that many of us are ready to move beyond this transactional relationship where we are just trading obligation for some kind of benefits in heaven. I'm asking, for those who are willing, God, will you create in us a heart after your heart, Jesus? And may we taste and see that the Lord is good. And may we embrace, embed our lives, take our lives and place them into your
1: life because we're compelled to, not because we have to. Because Jesus, where else would we go? And Jesus, it is in your name that we ask these things. Amen and amen.